Hey everybody, welcome to ARE Live. I'm Mark Tier, the founder of Black Spectacles. And today I'm with Mike Newman, uh, who's gonna talk about the transition between ARE 4 to ARE 5. Uh, Mike and I had the distinct uh, pleasure of going to NCARB uh, out in DC a couple of weeks ago to learn all about the new exam. And it was really interesting. We learned a lot about how they actually write it, actually uh, sort of the philosophy behind how they write it. Um, yeah. I think it's fair to say, and I think uh, Jared would agree, they kind of nerded out on uh, on how they write the questions yeah. uh, and so forth. So it was really cool to actually learn everything um, in terms of how they put it together. So we're going to talk about how they do it, what the new exam is, uh, and what's different uh, between it and ARE 4. Uh, but before we get started, <clears throat> if you'd like to attend our next ARE live broadcast, um, which is going to be a, a question and answer session with, uh, with Mr. Mike Newman on April 27th, you can visit blackspectacles.com slash podcast to register. Um, and during the broadcast, you'll have um, a chance to ask questions to the group and to Mike, and we'll ask everyone to submit questions ahead of time. Um, so if you submit your questions first, um, then you will, uh, you know, you'll be sort of first on the docket. So now if you don't know Mike, he's an adjunct professor at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. He's also the founder of Shed Studio, and he is the instructor for Black Spectacles online AIA ARE prep curriculum. Um, if you haven't already checked out our AIA ARE prep curriculum, head over to blackspectacles.com to watch any of the free tutorials from the courses. Um, and today, um, we have a special Black Spectacles promo code to share, so stay tuned to hear about that at the end. But first, I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Mike. Okay. Uh, it was indeed a fascinating conversation uh, in DC at NCARB, uh, and they did definitely nerd out on the whole uh, how to make a test uh, process, but it was, uh, it was interesting and fascinating. And the most useful part about that was it allowed us to kind of see in a bit to how they, uh, how they're imagining like kind of the, the way that they are thinking about the exam. And so when you have that in your head, it, it sort of changes the way you think about uh, kind of what they're looking for and, and that kind of thing. And we'll go through a little bit of that uh, as we go along. Um, but let's, uh, let's just sort of jump in and, and start. Um, so uh, first thing to say, just kind of start with the basics. Um, so there's a huge amount of changing all kinds of uh, new arrangements of exams and IDP and a whole bunch of other stuff. But also relax, everything's gonna be fine. Um, the gist of the situation is actually that everything's still the three basic concepts uh, of education, so getting an accredited degree, getting experience, demonstrating that experience through IDP. The name will probably change at some point, although it's still called IDP at, uh, on the website. And then taking an exam. And the exam is changing form, but it's still you know, similar type questions and similar situations. So it's not dramatically different. It's not like we're, you no longer have to take an exam or it's much, much harder or anything like that. So that was kind of interesting to, to talk through a bit. Um, so you're, you're, you're still required to do all three of those things and the exam is still gonna be a very big exam, but it's always been that. Uh, it's uh, while gonna be going from seven distinct exams to six exams, uh, a couple of those exams are pretty big. Uh, so it's roughly the same amount of hours uh, in terms of exam time. So it, it's still, you know, like I said, the, essentially the same basic process, the same basic uh, concepts. Um, the, big, the big changes is just how all the specific concepts are being grouped. 
and then some of the uh, uh, other sort of uh, more minor changes are going to be the specific way that they ask questions. Um, so big thing is kind of reorganized. Smaller thing is there's going to be very specific new types of uh, questions. Uh, but as I said, the overall concept here is everything's roughly the same. It's just in a new package. So first thing to say about all of this is uh, that 5.0 is going to start. Um, they keep calling it the end of 2016. Um, I'm guessing, I don't know what you thought, Mark, but uh, I think it was uh, sort of alluded to that it was probably somewhere around December 1st, December 15th, something like that, and kind of right around Thanksgiving, maybe yeah. just after. Yeah. Um, uh, I think they're being a little tricky about it because they want to have kind of a soft start, I think, in order to kind of test out the uh, program a bit before they get uh, uh, a whole crew of uh, folks jumping on all at the same time. Um, but then uh, 4.0, which is the current version, uh, is going to go 18 months past that. So 4.0 has a hard deadline of June 30th, 2018. So you could, if you started uh, in 4.0 now or soon, uh, you would have at least, uh, well, if you started now, you'd have at least two years, um, uh, more than two years to finish in 4.0. Uh, but you can also uh, start in 4.0 go for a few exams that way, transition from 4.0 into 5.0, and then finish in 5.0. Or you can just wait until uh, sometime at the end of 2016 and start and do it all in 5.0. So you have, there's a lot of options there. The only option you don't have available to you is you can't go backwards. You can't uh, go do a 4.0, do a 5.0, then go back to a 4.0. Uh, so once you're doing once you once you're in five, you're in five. You can't you can't go backwards. Um, the transitioning aspect, you have to be very careful about it. But they've also made a bunch of tools. Uh, they're not uh, fully up on the website yet, but they will be soon. They've made a whole series of tools that allow you to uh, go into your my NCARB uh, portion of the site and. Uh, ncarb.com uh, um, and as you kind of finish uh, an exam or if you've already finished an exam you can go to uh, a little translator for uh, to translate that 4.0 exam what does that mean for me in terms of 5.0 so they give you a sort of graphic tool to help explain uh, you know the dif different parts of it and we'll go through a, a, a couple of examples of that it'll make more sense um, but uh, they are trying very, very hard to make the uh, transition more understandable. And I think that really comes from the transition from 3.1 to 4.0, which caused a lot of consternation and people were uh, upset and things went very fast and people were confused. And that was actually a much less of a change than this change. Um, and so they were very uh, cognizant of the fact that uh, people were kind of freaking out uh, at the last time and they want to give people as many tools as possible. So that means there's going to be a bunch of tools out there available to you, which is great. Uh, like I said, they're not on the, up on the website just yet. There's a few, but um, some of the more robust ones are not up on the website just yet, but they'll be there soon. Um, my guess is sometime in the summer they'll start having that stuff uh, really fully uh, up and running. So 
5.0 starts in a few months. Uh, 4.0 has uh, a full 18 months of overlap, and then eventually it'll be gone. Um, you do want to be very careful about those transitions because uh, very few of the exams have direct corollary relationships. And so it's completely possible that you could take a structures exam, for example, pass it, and then essentially have to take all that structure stuff again in the new version because it didn't exactly line up in transition. Um, so you just want to be very strategic and, and careful about it. Uh, or just take them all in 4.0 or take them all in 5.0. All right. So currently, everybody should know this part, but we'll just make sure everybody kind of gets it. Um, currently, there's now seven different exams in 4.0. Uh, this is the construction documents and services, site planning and design, programming planning and practice, building design and construction systems, structural systems and building systems. Uh, and then the seventh one, which is the all vignette one, which is the schematic design. So if you think about these for a second, it pretty clearly be, uh, becomes, uh, becomes pretty clear pretty fast that these are essentially silos of information, right? I have a silo of uh, uh, structures, you know, um, and so I can go and uh, study structures for a month and go take this exam and it's all structures, there's nothing else on that exam, it's all very uh, straightforward. And then there's a silo for the systems uh, exam, right, and same thing. And there's a couple of those silos are a little oddly overlapped, like for example, uh, uh, site planning and program planning and practice, obviously there's planning in both of those, so there's a lot of overlap and CDNS starts to overlap with some of these things, CDNS and the, um, building design and construction. Uh, so there's, there's silos, but there is overlap. But you get this idea that I study, I'm focused on one concept, and uh, then when I go and hit the exam, uh, it's all about that one concept. Well, kind of clearly, that's not very architecture-like. Uh, you know, when was the last time you worked on a project and you were like all structures or all systems or all programming or planning or something? Uh, and so, their decision was to go into a kind of new mindset. And the new mindset, I'm gonna jump to the next year, um, is the 5.0. And the 5.0 is six exams, but the six exams are now organized in a very different way. So imagine you're uh, a firm, uh, and let's say you do a bunch of projects. So you've got uh, a few different projects going. Uh, one of the exams, is going to be uh, sort of the, the organization of your practice. So it's looking at everything. How do I keep and get jobs? How do we keep quality control going? Uh, how does insurance work? What's the way that we uh, position ourselves as a firm uh, in terms of uh, project delivery and how does that impact our, our decisions? Uh, do we have uh, engineers in-house or are they contracted separately? How does that impact the different decisions we make? So kind of all of the decisions about having a practice, like what does it mean to have a practice and how does that work? How does the money work? How does the insurance work? All of that. So that's one exam. That's going to be that first one right there. So that's the uh, practice management. And then the second exam, if you think of these bars as, as individual projects, Second exam is going to be, all right, now we're looking at one whole project. So it's project management. So that's going to be number two. And project management is going to be things like, 
uh, all right, we're looking at the whole concept of the project. So what is our contract? What's the project delivery for this project? So, okay, there's a client, the client has these needs, there's a certain kind of uh, code situation, and therefore this makes sense to be design-build, or this makes sense to be fast-track. Uh, so it's looking at the big picture, what the big set of relationships are, uh, how the um, engineers are related to the project, uh, all of those kinds of issues. So it's this kind of looking at the whole thing, if you will. And then there's four uh, of the, the next four of these exams, so we're going to say three, four, five, and six, uh, are literally the project. So I'm going to divide this uh, project into four parts. That first part is going to be, all right, we've got the project, and now uh, we need to do some initial programming. We need to do some initial sketches. We need to uh, think about how uh, design might work with the survey. Um, we need to think about the geotechnical information that we got from the owners uh, to understand what kind of uh, foundation we can put in. <coughs> we need to uh, uh, kind of really think about all those very early, early issues. Um, and so that's the kind of stuff that will be in that exam. The next exam is going to be uh, so, uh, sorry, that one was called Programming and Analysis. The next exam, Project Planning and Design, is going to be, all right, we've gone past that very initial early sketches, really programming it out and kind of understanding the research that needs to be done. Now we're in the spot where we're really uh, planning. We're in the spot where we're making real plans. We're thinking about site plans and, and floor plans and roof plans and landscape plans. Like we're getting all the kind of basic plan analysis done. Um, and so we're, we're able to kind of focus in. It's real dimensions. It's, you know, um, uh, working with the codes. It's doing all of that kind of stuff. All right, the next exam is going to focus in on the next phase of the project. This one's called Project Development and Design. This is really where, okay, we've gone from a sort of planning idea uh, where we were sort of uh, uh, you know, pretty, pretty finished, but, um, but still just kind of in that planning phase. And now in the, this fifth one in, in Project Development and Design, we're, we're detailing it out. We're, we're going all the way. We're going to the point where we have a bid set at the end and we're finishing the project off. So essentially, in terms of the kind of classic architect work, uh, it sort of ends at the end of five. So the end of five is we send out uh, for the, the bids. Uh, maybe you're reviewing bids in there or something, but it's, uh, it's the, the end of the architectural phase of the project. And then six is construction. And so for us, that ends up being, uh, a typical term would be CA, um, construction administration. Their term is construction and evaluation. Um, and so that would be talking about all the things that happen uh, that the architect is involved with uh, during the construction phases. So it's talking about uh, payouts, uh, change orders, um, things, uh, shop drawings all sorts of different parts of the process that happen that the architect is involved in, uh, that's what that exam is going to be about. So these first two are talking in these sort of general ideas. How does the overall practice work? How does the overall project work? And then the next four 
are really a timeline of the project. Uh, so it is very much trying to be a better um, distillation of what it's like to be an architect. That's really the whole thing behind all of these changes, is that they're trying to make the exam represent the process of being an architect better. Uh, being an architect is all about being comprehensive, kind of understanding how one thing impacts another. Uh, and the trouble with the old system was, it was at least silos, nothing really impacted each other, it was just structures or just systems or just contracts. This is about uh, this sort of comprehensive, fluid sense of how projects uh, work. So I just uh, just launched a quick poll here real quick just to sort of see what everybody thinks about, uh, about the new exam. I think you have to answer the question uh, in order to in order to see, uh, in order to see the answers here. So, uh, in order to move to the next slide here. So, just give me 15 more seconds, and we will move on. All right. The answers we had here were: it's a terrible idea. Sounds really good. <laughs> some good, some bad. So so. Uh, and then finally, I don't really understand ARI 5.0 yet. And uh, so I'm going to close the poll here, and we've got. It uh, looks like 42% um, say sounds really good, 5% say it's terrible, 40% uh, in, in the middle. So. Yeah, well, I think that's sort of, uh, that's sort of reasonable. Um, you know, th the way this is going to end up being, like all changes like this, th their intentions are very, very good, I think. I think this is uh, a smart move. I think it makes sense. I'm not convinced it's going to be easier for you, the candidate. Um, I think there's something to the silo that allows you to just say, all right, I'm just going to turn off my phone for a month and focus on structures or focus on systems or focus on contracts and kind of get all that information and really just sort of focus in on it and then take an exam on it and sort of show that you've, you've managed to do that. Um, in this sense, now uh, we're going to be in a situation where I'll give a couple of examples. Um, I mentioned change orders earlier. You could imagine a question on change orders that, well, clearly it might, uh, you might get that question uh, in this uh, last phase of the construction end of, uh, of things, so in that uh, CE construction and evaluation. Um, and it would be a, a specific question about uh, the contractor, uh, let's say, uh, in the time from when the um, uh, bid was accepted to when uh, the project was able to start, maybe the, for uh, unknown international reasons, the steel price went up 14%, say. Uh, the contractor wants to ask for a change order, is that okay, right? Now, to actually answer that, the question would have to have a bunch more information because it would depend on the specifics of the contract, was there a guarantee, a bunch of other things. But that kind of question would easily show up in, in that um, of the, the construction and evaluation. But you could also have a, a question about change orders uh, in project management, where like maybe it's a question that says, uh, in order to reduce change orders, because our client doesn't like being surprised by things, how could you, how could you reduce change orders? Uh, and the answer for that might be something like institute uh, uh, quality control, uh, a scope control project, or. Um, you know, review uh, effectively with the client and with the uh, 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 contractor, or maybe it means 
uh, you should recommend that they do a construction manager or something so that uh, there's ways that that effectively what is the same question can show up in multiple places. Uh, you could also imagine uh, similar issues with something like uh, footings or foundations. You know, we could clearly be talking about uh, footings and foundations uh, in the uh, programming and analysis phase where you're doing the research and the research might be included uh, with the uh, soils geotechnical report and it says, you know, analyze this geotechnical report and tell us uh, something about uh, you know, what kind of uh, um, uh, foundation and, and footing makes the most sense uh, for this particular situation. Where there's no design yet, you're not being specific, you're not talking about, uh, uh, you know, an exact set of loads or anything like that. You're just talking about what makes sense in this context given this uh, piece of information. So that is an example of how uh, that question could happen in, in programming and analysis. But then you could have that exact same question happening in uh, project planning and design, where now it's a more specific question. It's got uh, maybe some loading information in it. It's got, uh, uh, you're, you're actually sizing the footing. You're talking about there's 91 kips of load coming down the column and blah, blah, blah. And you know, there's a, a 3,000 PSF uh, soil. Uh, how big is that footing going to have to be? You know, it's, it, it could be that kind of question. And then, you know, you could have a similar, more detailed, maybe the, uh, in five it might be about, well, where's the rebar go in that footing? Um, and so you would have to place the rebar into the drawing of the footing. And then in under the uh, last one, under construction and evaluation, it, you might have a question that would be, all right, they're pouring the footing and you watch them and they're doing a slump test and the slump is a slump of eight, uh, which means it's a lot of slump and that concrete is really watery, uh, and they're pouring the footing. How do you feel about that? The whole building is sitting on this thing with what's probably gonna be pretty uh, no good um, concrete, right? So it's the same question. We're talking about different aspects of that footing, uh, and now it can show up in any of those exams. So, um, the silo version of these things has certain advantages, but, and this one has uh, certain disadvantages, but the advantage here is I do think there is a logic to it and it fits into the way that we already think about architecture. I do have uh, one interesting question here. So Kevin Todd is noting that um, the scheduled time for ARE 4 is about 33 hours, whereas for ARE 5 it's about 25 hours at the exam center. So he just wants confirmation that in fact the duration of testing has gone down. Yeah, so the duration of testing has gone down. The reason I, I was saying it was roughly equal is that um, one of the reasons there's such a big uh, leap is that uh, you're getting rid of schematic design. And schematic design is a big time one. Uh, it has the, the building design is whatever, four hours or whatever it is, and the interior layout is an hour, and then there's time in between. So um, once you take that away, because there are no more vignettes, uh, the vignettes are gone. So once you take that away, it kind of equalizes. Um, it's still a little bit less, I think. Uh, I think you're right about that. But um, I would imagine it, like I think it's useful to think of it as essentially the same in terms of the multiple choice. I will say that I think my favorite uh, thing that uh, they they, dis they sort of confirmed is that there's less structures yeah. um, on ARE 5 than there is on ARE 4, which for me, yeah. uh, I mean, I absolutely hated that, so. Uh, I, th I think, Mark, I believe your line was, 
you're you're blowing the lead. That's uh, right. The, the the lead here is airy five less structures, <laughs> yeah. um, and that's true. It will be less structures, uh, and it will be less systems. Um, uh, I th probably contracts will be about the same. Um, I wouldn't necessarily rejoice about that, uh, and here's why: uh, because there'll be fewer questions, but the range of questions might be kind of similar, and so it's not like you can just ignore whole swaths of structures. Um, like it's not like they're going to say, "All right, we're not going to ask you any questions about steel." Um, you know, and you can just ignore steel. Like it, you're still going to get steel, concrete, wood. You're still going to get all those other kinds of things. So. Um, uh, but that is, a, I think, a, a more logical thing because the structures exam is, right now, in my mind, kind of nutty. Uh, it forces people to study things that I think are not terribly useful for the average architect, uh, especially average young architect. Um, so I think it's a good thing from that standpoint. And yeah, I agree. I, that was definitely one of the funnier moments when we when we all realized that. Um, so okay, uh, I think the the way these things are mapped out makes sense. Key here is the drawing vignettes, which are a big part of 4.0, these big drawing programs, um, if you can call it drawing, are long gone. Um, there are a few multiple choice type questions now. Um, there's a rather cryptic note down at the bottom because <laughs> it's missing a word, but uh, there's a few multiple choice type questions that now are more drawing-like, but they're, they're fast, multiple choice, uh, simple uh, type questions. Okay. So uh, my guess is that probably many of you have seen this uh, image before. This is just a, a quick uh, comparison of the different uh, versions. So uh, we have the 4.0 versions uh, uh, going right down here and then the 5.0 versions going uh, along the top here. Uh, and this is the system for how they mapped it out. Um, and so this is where you want to start being strategic about how you're going to uh, move through this process. Uh, like I said, it's fine if you think you can get everything done in uh, the next, uh, um, you know, 24 months or so. You can just start in 4.0 and get it done. Um, you, don't, you don't really need to be that strategic. Uh, if you're thinking it might, uh, you're not really quite ready yet and you're thinking about sort of starting in a, in a few months, well, maybe you want to start in 5.0. It probably makes sense just to keep it simple. Uh, if you're somewhere in the middle uh, and you might be able to finish in 4.0 but you're not really sure, then there's a, a, a specific way that you should absolutely start this as a process. Um, so the first three that you should absolutely take if you're taking it in 4.0, uh, starting now essentially, is construction documents and services, program planning and practice, site planning and design. And the reason for that is that when you look at how the sort of content areas get mapped out on this matrix, uh, through uh, construction documents and services, I get that, I get that. Through programming, planning, and practice, I get that one and that one and that one. Through site planning and design, I get that one and that one. Uh, so that's not helping me a heck of a lot, but these other ones here, I have now, by taking those three, I have fully taken uh, those two plus that one. So I have three that are, that are done and I have three that are left. Uh, so uh, 
it's a it's a pretty uh, interesting. I'm sorry, I, I I misdrew that. I'm also because I uh, I got these two out of here. I also get these done uh, as well. So I'm, I'm sorry, I miss I misdrew that. I was uh, was thinking ahead to the next thing. Let me jump back a little bit here. Um, uh, so I, I'm getting those three. I get uh, these guys, and uh, what I am effectively doing is I'm going from uh, a seven exam. Uh, to a six exam, but I'm able to do it in five exams. Um, so I'm doing three in the one and then two in the other. Um, so the two that are left are these two. Everything else is done. Now, saying that, these two are going to be kind of monsters because these two have all of these content areas. And it doesn't matter that you've already taken some of these uh, content areas. You're going to still have to take stuff that's about con contracts. You're still going to have to take stuff that's structures. It's still going to be systems. It's still going to be design issues. All of that stuff. So these two plus these three. So I got two plus three. That's five. Somehow, by starting with seven and going transitioning to six, I can do it in five. That's, I think, uh, if you're thinking about starting right now and you're going to start in 4.0, there's no reason to start on any of these other ones. Absolutely do these first three. Uh, get those done. If all works well uh, and you're uh, two months in and you still got plenty of time, well, okay, by all means, just keep going in 4.0. Once you're used to it, you're good at it, play it out. Uh, but if you're having a little trouble, but eventually you get those three done, then you can transition easily into the 5.0, uh, and it all makes uh, uh, a sort of fast and, and easy uh, process. Sorry, I'm screwing up that thing there, but I think you get the idea that you can do the three, and then that transitions and only leaves the two left. But like I said, they're two monster ones. So let's go ahead and see what everybody's uh, thinking about right here. Okay. Um, Quick poll, what you're uh, thinking about doing here, staying in ARE 4 or 5 or doing the combo, or maybe not sure yet. We'll close this up here in about, oh, about 15 seconds. We'll do it real quick. And, you know, for most people, you're going to realize there's uh, a reason to uh, have a strategy. But it doesn't mean you necessarily have to stick to that strategy. Like you start with a strategy so you have a game plan, you know what you're going to do, you start, you know what you want to sign up for, and you move forward. Then, you know, four months from now, if you realize, oh, I keep getting stuck on PPP, all right, maybe I have a new strategy at that point. Uh, it's really important to kind of move forward, though. Yep. So as you guys can see here, looks like uh, about 60% of the people are going to kind of do the, the five exam kind of combo. Uh, and then the next most is everybody staying in. Uh, ARE 4. Yeah. Cool. All right, so let's talk about questions. Um, as I said, vignettes are gone, so that program completely gone. Uh, the replacement of the vignettes, there's a couple different ways that they get to uh, kind of similar ideas. Um, the one advantage of, of the drawing uh, as part of the exam was that it allowed them to at least try to be sort of comprehensive. Now, personally, I think the vignette questions were not wildly actually comprehensive. I think they ended up being in order for the computer to grade them and being kind of simplistic. Um, 
so I, I think it wasn't working terribly well, but that was the idea. They wanted to make sure that architects could think comprehensively. Uh, and so there's now a bunch of new ways that they are doing that, which are probably much more effective. Uh, so the vignettes are going to be gone in, in 5.0. There's still going to be the same multiple choice questions. It's going to be check all that apply, quantitative uh, fill in the blank, hotspots, dragon place, and case studies. So let's sort of talk these through just a little bit. Uh, so multiple choice uh, will be essentially the same as it was before. Over the last couple of years, maybe the last two years, they've started instituting a series of kind of rules about how they do the questions, which uh, are a bit different, similar, but a bit different from how it's been done over the years. Um, so for one example is uh, that they, they say uh, when only one, this is the question type that makes sense when only one single correct response exists. Previously, the way people talked about this was uh, there were often two correct answers. One was just more correct than the other. Uh, and so they're trying to move away from that is the impression that we have. Um, and that there really should be uh, an inarguable correct answer. Now, that sounds uh, easier said than done. Um, but supposedly, that's going to be how they're thinking about it. Um, there will not be any uh, E all of the above or none of the above or just uh, two and three but not one and four. Uh, nothing like that. It will always be four uh, straightforward answers and then one of them will be the inarguably correct answer, supposedly. Um, the other thing that they uh, were talking about is that it will always be uh, their terminology was grammatically parallel construction, so that the answers are always given in the same uh, sort of tense and tone as the question. Um, that actually can throw people off sometimes, and so they're trying to not have people get thrown off by sort of trickery with the uh, grammar um, and positive framing. So uh, it's never uh, uh, which of these is not the best way to you know, apply paint or something. Like, it, it won't be a not question. It will always be a, a positive uh, sense of framing to this. Um, so, these are essentially the way that we've been talking about it uh, in the past, but uh, some little bit different in the way that they are thinking about it these days. Um, the check all that apply, uh, or their way of talking about it is CATA. Um, there's always going to be six possible answers. Um, in, this, in their version, this is when multiple responses exist, so it's different from the other one. So if they have a question that there are multiple potential responses, then they flip it from being a multiple choice to being a, a kata type. Um, there will not be uh, five possibles and then all of the above, or five possibles and then none of the above, nothing like that. Um, and the sort of concept here is that every answer is plausible, but that one is inarguably um, uh, correct, or a number are arguably inarguably correct, and uh, the ones that are should not be chosen are inarguably incorrect. Um, again, uh, that's easier said than done. Um, we'll see how the questions actually come through. The process of making the questions is kind of interesting. The way that they uh, do that is by having volunteer architects uh, who uh, some people who have just passed recently, other people who have been in the industry for many years and lots of people in between. Uh, and those folks uh, in lots of different committees around the country get together for 
a short period of time, run through how it works, and then they all go off and do homework and they have to each do, I don't know what it is, say 10 questions. Those 10 questions get looked at by everybody and then uh, a bunch of them get thrown out, some get combined, some get changed. Uh, eventually they make it out of the committee and then they go to another committee, sort of a higher up committee, and then they review them. Uh, and then eventually they get onto the exam, but as a uh, test prep, not as a real question. Uh, and so they're able to see how people respond, but they don't count uh, for, for that particular person. That particular person doesn't know that. You don't know which ones are test prep and which ones are real. Um, but the idea here is that they're trying to do this in such a way where it goes through a number of different phases where people can sort of check to make sure, all right, is it matching all of these issues that we talked about? Is it grammatically parallel? Is it positive framing? Is it true that that's really uh, the only reasonable set of answers? Um, and uh, the idea is that they are creating test questions for people to prove that they are uh, competent. This is an exam about being competent as an architect. This is not an exam that is trying to demonstrate that you are talented. It is not an exam that's trying to demonstrate design skill. It's not an exam trying to really do anything other than show that you are competent at architecture. And when you talk about that from a, an NCARB and AIA standpoint, that's really talking about health, safety, and welfare of the public. And can you run your firm? Can you not run it into the ground? Uh, all right. Next question type, quantitative fill in the blank. So these are fill, fill in the blank, so there's no uh, choices. It's just a, a blank spot where you have to fill something in. Uh, it's always going to be a number. Um, it could be decimals or whole numbers. Um, the one interesting thing to note here is that when you when you do one of these calculations, uh, I know people kind of freak out a little bit about well, you know, to what decimal point do I need to take it to? What are they expecting? Um, they actually, the way they talk about it at least, is that there will always be a reasonable range accepted. So if, uh, if you're doing a calculation and you round off at the beginning and somebody else rounds off at the end, uh, that you'll both have the correct answer. It's okay, even if your answers are slightly different. If, you know, uh, instead of, you know, one person ends up with 55 and the other one ends up with 55.4, those are both going to be considered correct answers. Um, so not to overly fret about those issues and just kind of keep rolling through them. Um, but pretty straightforward, uh, you'll uh, always be numbers and always be kind of probably related to formulas or things like that. And the units should always be clear uh, on the answer area. And then there's a couple sort of new ones, and uh, these are the more interesting ones, the hotspots and the dragon place. So the hotspots are essentially, if you imagine, a picture. So I have a drawing of a detail uh, let's say of a parapet uh, meeting a roof and uh, it might say uh, you know place the coping or place the uh, through wall uh, 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 I'm blanking on the word uh, flashing. flashing sorry god I don't know what happened to me there um, that uh, you would have to just sort of point at the drawing and say, yeah, this is where it goes. And you put a little target on the drawing. And uh, it would understand that that 
the program would understand that you mean at that target point, that's where that flashing goes, or that's where that coping goes, or uh, that's where the uh, you know front door should be given the parameters that were given, or whatever it happens to be. Um, so it's one drawing that's already drawn, and you're placing one thing by tapping uh, in that one spot. Uh, so it's kind of like drawing. It's not really drawing, um, but it, you're kind of using a drawing. Uh, and one of the things that was uh, an interesting discussion, it was a little tricky for them to be specific about it, but um, we sort of enjoyed the term that they used, which was jiggle. Uh, and the jiggle concept is that there's no way that all of us are going to hit exactly in the same spot uh, to say that's where something should go. And so they say oh, the computer understands that and it's going to have a range of possible uh, areas where you, can, where you can do that, where you can hit it and it's going to accept that. It's kind of like we just talked about under the um, fill in the blank. Uh, some people will round off in different locations, other people will do, you know, kind of come at the uh, formula from the other side and you might end up with a slightly different number. Well, same thing here, I might end up with a slightly different location. Um, it's just really hard for us to tell you exactly how big that jiggle area is and it would of course change per every different drawing type. Um, but uh, I think part of the reason that we want to make sure we get that across is uh, don't panic about it. Um, it's, it's probably going to be fine. If you have a, a, a general understanding of what the correct answer is, you just kind of go for where you think it goes and I'm sure you'll be fine. Uh, drag and place is going to be very similar, but is a little more complicated. So drag and place is going to be a situation where there's a base drawing and that base drawing uh, has some, uh, some parts of the information on it. Uh, and then there's going to be off to the side a series of other parts that you need to pull into that base drawing and plug them in. And it's essentially the same. You're just going to, you're going to pull it over, you're going to drag it, you're going to place it in. Uh, it's kind of like just hitting the target on the previous one, but it's when you hit that it places in this larger chunk of drawing. So one example that we looked at with them was a, a, a wall section, a wall type. Uh, and there were some bricks and there was some uh, uh, inner drywall and you had to place the framing, the insulation and probably what the question was really about, the vapor barrier. So there was a specific context, it told you where it was and all of that and you had to know that the vapor barrier should be on the warm side of the insulation. Um, so that's a fairly straightforward thing and you can imagine a lot of ways that that could get used. It could be something like here's a site plan, uh, this site plan, uh, we want to put a patio uh, in that gets shade uh, in, you know, uh, in the afternoons but gets sun in the morning uh, and blah, blah, blah. And here's the, we don't want to be able to see the uh, loading dock next door or something like that. And so here's the patio and here's a couple of other pieces you have to sort of pull across the drawing and place them into the drawing. And so you'd, have, you'd be demonstrating that you understand uh, sun angles and things like that. So again, this is like drawing. It's more like drawing than hotspot, um, but you're still not really drawing anything. The drawings are really gone. This is really the same, uh, that same basic idea of kind of just moving parts. Uh, again, jiggle, uh, there's going to be a lot of flexibility. All right. <clears throat> and actually, guys, one thing I'm doing here is I'm sharing, NCARB has actually provided um, some YouTube videos uh, on these uh, these different new types. 
uh, that you can check out. So if you look in the chat box here, I just posted uh, YouTube video links that you can maybe save and then review them after uh, our session tonight. I'll include one also for, uh, for, I think, the next topic, which is probably case studies, right? Yeah. Yeah, and the, they're very simple and straightforward uh, uh, videos and, and definitely worth uh, kind of understanding. All right, so case studies. Case studies aren't really a new type of question. Case studies are a sort of whole genre up to themselves. Um, but this is a genre where it's a group of questions that are all put together about one topic. Uh, and that case study, uh, the questions themselves will be the same question types. So there'll be multiple choice, there'll be drag in place, there'll be hotspot, there'll be uh, check all that apply. Um, so it could be any of those types of questions uh, in a group of um, anywhere from uh, 12 to 24. My guess is uh, they're really shooting at about 20, 18 to 20, um, which is a lot of questions on one topic. So uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting thing. I was expecting when we got there, I, I was thinking they were going to be saying they're Case studies were like eight questions or something, uh, and they are going for it, and they're saying, no, it's going to be about 20 questions. Um, the case studies will always be at the end of the multiple choice. So let's say it's uh, 100 questions total, uh, and uh, 20 of them are part of the case study. So you would go through the first 80 questions, and then the last 20 are all considered as part of the case study. It would look different. Um, you actually kind of go into a separate graphically identifiable area. You're now in the case study. Uh, and uh, it'll look like it'll have a bunch of uh, tabs uh, along the top. Um, and those tabs are going to take you to different uh, pieces of information. So one tab might take you to some code information. Uh, one might take you to a site plan. Uh, one might take you to the sort of program that the client made. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Right? There's a whole series of different possible things that might uh, those, the, the, those tabs would take you to. And then there'll be a series of questions uh, uh, that are all related to, um, uh, to this, uh, this set of information. So there'll be some basic written information, then these tabbed information, and then the series of questions. Uh, you don't have to do it at the end. You can actually go and do the, if you're nervous about it or something, you can go and do it at the beginning and then just go back and start from the beginning after you've done it. Um, whatever you feel comfortable with, once you've uh, tried a couple or something, uh, I think you'll, you'll have some opinions about the best way to move through the exam. Um, it's possible you might have two case studies. Uh, so you might have, say, 60 or 70 questions on something and then 20 and 20 uh, for different case studies. Some of the uh, topic areas are probably not going to be great for 20 or 24 type questions. And so a few of them will be smaller in the kind of 12 to 14 question range. But they seem really committed to uh, being pretty big case studies. Um, uh, don't think there'll be any at the sort of five or six question range. Um, so the tabs, uh, like I said, are these, these pieces of information. Um, and those tabs are going to take you to, uh, like, for example, the code. It could take you to a 50-page section of the code. Um, the program could be many pages long. Uh, site plan could have lots of extraneous pieces of information. So the whole point here is that you're not, uh, you're not going through like you would with a normal question. 
where on a normal question, you're going to read the entire question. You're going to make sure you know everything in that question, and then you're going to try to answer it. In this scenario, there's, there's no way you could sit and read 60 pages of code, and it wouldn't make any sense. Uh, you wouldn't, why would you bother looking over the entire site plan if the questions really don't you know, uh, focus on certain portions of it? So there's sort of two approaches. One is that you kind of review through the information, get to a point where you're comfortable with what the project is all about, and then go to the questions and, and kind of whiz through the questions. The other approach uh, is that you glance down through all the questions, uh, kind of read every single one of them, and then go and review the information. I don't think there's a right way to do it. Uh, I could imagine I would probably be more in the second camp, but I know some other people I've talked to uh, are definitely in the first camp. Um, so know that this is a situation where you're supposed to actually use it in the way that you would use a code in your office where you, you would go through, you'd find the table of contents, you'd, you're looking for a specific piece of information, you find that, and it's PDF uh, hyperlinked, so you can actually jump around a little bit. Uh, and then you'd find that piece of information, you'd read that, you'd look for the exceptions or whatever it happened to be, and then jump out of it and go answer the question. So uh, you're not meant to read everything, but it is pretty daunting. So it's kind of a big deal. And when you see something pop up and it says 60 pages or 75 pages, uh, it, it throws you for a, a surprise when you first see it. Um, so it, the case studies are really the way that they're trying to approach the comprehensiveness of architecture. Now we do have um, probably five questions here that are all the same. <clears throat> Folks asking about uh, when practice exams for 5.0 will be available. Uh, when study material will be available. And so um, the folks at NCARB told us that uh, they're shooting for the middle of June, I think, um, to make their formal announcement on when the exams uh, uh, will be live for ARE 5.0. Um, and they were anticipating, again, fourth quarter, so somewhere between October, November, and December. So what we're doing here is we're actually going to be developing um, all of our study materials uh, over the next few months, and those will be available very likely they'll begin to be available in August. Um, and they very likely will be, uh, will begin with the, the, two, uh, the two exams that uh, of course are part of the ARE 4 or 5 kind of overlap um, strategy. So um, uh, I also believe at, uh, at that time in June uh, when NCARB makes an announcement, that's also when they will be sort of um, introducing their uh, exam guides, which I think provide a lot of detail about how the exam's organized and so forth. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't count on that happening at exactly that time. That's what they're shooting for now. Uh, this is a complicated process and there's bound to be some uh, glitches along the way, but certainly in the summertime, uh, they'll have all that information up. I wouldn't be surprised if it starts with one or two uh, and then everything else goes up. But, uh, you know, they're racing along trying to, trying to make it happen. So, Kind of getting back to uh, kind of how they're thinking about these things, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but um, they, they talked quite a bit about this sort of idea of uh, kind of an academic concept of uh, how people uh, uh, think through problems and how uh, uh, exams can, can test that knowledge. And there's this uh, apparently well-known um, uh, pyramid. Uh, that pyramid is, I, I believe it's the Bloom Pyramid. Uh, and it has these different uh, sort of aspects to it. And it starts down at the bottom with uh, remember. So those are kind of rote memory uh, things. 
you know, uh, you know uh, what is pi, you know, 3.14. Uh, understand where you start to kind of go beyond that and you start saying, well, how could I use it in a situation? You know, how, how does it fit in the world? And apply. Now, okay, how do I use it in a, in a, when the context starts getting a little more complicated? And then analyze, which is starting to say, all right, uh, I understand that piece of information. I understand these other three or four pieces of information. How do I start to prioritize and make these things kind of work together and evaluate? How do I really make a final decision and move through and then create? How do I actually now finally make something? Um, so uh, the way that the uh, folks there are thinking about it, create is kind of great. That's what architects do, but it's not really about the exam. And then with remember, they're trying to get away from this, this sort of simplistic question of, uh, you know, what is the value of pi? Uh, and so they're really trying to get you to focus on these two areas. So evaluate and analyze together and apply and understand together. And clearly, the evaluate and analyze are sort of more cognitively difficult type questions and apply and understand are a little bit simpler, more straightforward type questions. Um, and you'll start to notice that there'll be these um, uh, EA or AE, I can't remember, uh, and UA um, designations at various points. Um, and that starts to tell you for a specific portion of the exam kind of where they're thinking you should be at. Uh, like, is this a part of the exam where it's really all about just kind of getting you up to speed to understand and be able to do some simple uh, application uh, aspects of it, you know, maybe some of the more complicated systems or structures aspects. They're not really expecting you to uh, be a structural engineer and evaluate at a very deep level of understanding, uh, you know, a, a, a full set of different documents. Um, but uh, you should be able to at least make some quick decisions and apply different pieces of information as you go along. So this, uh, once you see that, it allows you to kind of understand a little bit better kind of where they're going, what they're thinking about. So let me show you a couple of examples about that. So uh, one of the examples they, they mentioned, so I mentioned this, the idea of pi. Right, so you could imagine a question that says, what is the value of pi? Or it, it might even, you could imagine different types of questions about like, what is the value of pi to two decimal points? What is the value of pi to 10 decimal points? Those are, you know, harder versions of, of remember type questions, but they're still essentially the same basic question. But then their version of what they would be more interested in is uh, a question that might say, all right, uh, we have, uh, let's say some, uh, you know, one inch uh, or uh, inch and a half uh, diameter uh, rebar, uh, and we need to have a certain number of square inches of steel in the concrete beam. Uh, so, uh, you know, how many uh, of the inch and a half rebar uh, do we need? And obviously, you would need to know that pi is equal to 3.14. So, you had to remember it. It's just that the question isn't about remembering it, it's about uh, using it. It's about uh, applying that information. It's about kind of understanding how that fits in the world. Um, so it's not just rote memory, it's rote memory that's then kind of usable in a situation. So the remember uh, stuff that is out, the words that they say are gonna be gone are going to be questions that say define or identify or label, list, match, name. 
So they're going to be saying, like, the, a question that says, name the something or other, right? That's not going to be a question anymore. All right. So understand apply. Uh, we're talking about some uh, uh, conceptual understanding, um, but it's still essentially pretty straightforward. Uh, so it might include sort of formula use, something like that, but it's, uh, it's the sort of lower cognitive end of things. So these questions are going to be questions that have words like apply or arrange, classify, uh, compare, extrapolate, uh, solve, uh, translate, utilize. There's a whole series of different uh, kinds of approaches that are slightly more complicated, but still relatively straightforward. Then the analyze, evaluate. Uh, these are going to be, the, in terms of the questions that you're going to get on this exam, the most uh, uh, cognitively complex. Um, so these are going to be uh, comparative analysis, conceptual understanding. You're going to be talking about uh, kind of integrating um, information from one situation into another situation. Um, uh, the ability to prioritize which information has the most impact on a design decision. Uh, so these are taking lots of disparate pieces of information, kind of culling them into a useful uh, narrative, and then doing something with them, you know, really evaluating them and making real decisions from them. Uh, so obviously analyze, appraise, argue, uh, diagram something, um, you know, to be able to prioritize or recommend, uh, verify some piece of information. Um, so it's Obviously, the questions are essentially the same. They're just different levels of uh, cognitive, cognitive interest uh, in them. All right, so we're going to run through. I'm not going to go through everything on this because um, you can look this stuff up uh, pretty easily. But just to kind of give you a sense, these are the six different uh, 5.0 sections. Um, and uh, we mostly wanted to show this because uh, uh, it gives you a sense of how the uh, elements are broken down. So there's the, the topic area, which is the practice management, the division. And then that division, that exam, has, in this particular case, four sections. And so you see these uh, section one, section two, section three, section four. And so section one is all about business operations. Section two is about uh, financial stuff, risk uh, aspects, kind of development, and uh, uh, how you develop a practice. Uh, 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 project delivery uh, ideas, like how, what kind of way that your practice uh, approaches project delivery issues, uh, both for you uh, and in terms of working with uh, uh, contractors, uh, and then practice methodologies, right? So these are the sort of the different areas that the uh, practice management exam is going to uh, look at. The little numbers uh, down below, these are talking about so these are the sections, and then underneath each of those sections, there are uh, specific objectives. And so for business operations, there are four objectives. And on that example, three of them are the simpler ones, the understanding and uh, applying, and one of them is the more complex one. So the objective is where they are kind of narrowing in on these different kinds of uh, types of questions that are going to be. Um, as you look through, some of these topics are going to be more heavily weighted on the sort of simpler end of the questions. Other ones, like the practice-wide delivery, all of them are in the more complex zone. So that kind of tells you when you're studying for these things, kind of the type of stuff you should be studying for. Um, now I say that at the same time, like 
you know, you, you can't overthink these things. It's, uh, there are going to be some aspects to this that you just are, um, you're just studying for it. You're just trying to get the information. You're trying to, you know, get experience. I wouldn't overly worry about it. What I would use these things, this idea for, these two different categories, is just to kind of give you a sense of the kinds of things they're looking for. So it kind of backs you up when you're doing some studying. You kind of know, yeah, I'm in the right track. Uh, so that's practice management. It's got the four sections, and then each of those sections has uh, uh, the different um, uh, uh, objectives in it. Uh, project management, uh, similar. This one has five. You can see, you know, the same kind of breakdown. Uh, and when you look at something like project management, you know, we look at something like contracts, right? We're sort of looking at this one. So it's only got four different objectives in it. But it's also a really big part of the overall uh, pie, right? So um, it, this is also a way for you to start really, you know, making sure, like, you don't want to spend all your time studying for project management uh, on, you know, some of these uh, 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 smaller, like, resource management. Uh, you know, that would be a good thing to, to know about, but that's going to be, you know, maybe 10% of the exam. Uh, so you want to make sure that you're balancing your studying time with the way the amount of uh, the times of questions you're likely to get. And then once we get into the actual sort of the four that go together in terms of uh, um, now we're in the, the actually project, so we're at the beginning of the project, programming and analysis. Uh, you can see these have all been 95 questions and about three hours 15 for the uh, actual test time. The, the amount of time that you block out actually is four hours, but then there's a few uh, time periods in there that get taken out for in between different moments and breaks and things. So the actual test time is about 3.15 approximately. So on this one, um, so again, this is a uh, uh, smallish uh, exam uh, and it has one big area, right? That building analysis and programming, that's, uh, that's a huge big part of this uh, exam. But it has all these other ones, and, and you can start to see where the, where the key pieces of information are coming by which kinds of questions they're going to be asking. Project planning and design. Now we're in the big uh, exams, the two big ones. These are 120 questions. This is an hour longer. This is four hours and 15 for the ac actual exam time. Um, this, has, uh, this one has five uh, uh, sections. And then again, each one has their own objectives, and those objectives have the two different uh, types of um, uh, understanding and applying or, or more uh, cognitively difficult ones. Uh, and so you can kind of run through. You'll start noticing that codes and regulations shows up a lot. You'll notice that environmental and context conditions show up a lot. It's just that it's different specific to this moment in time of the project. So what would the code issues be at the beginning of a project? Uh, all right, project uh, development and documentation. Now we're uh, into the second of the really big ones. Uh, now we're finalizing a project as we're going along. So the documentation stuff is going to be really about, uh, which is a big section here. Uh, that's a lot of information about documentation. That's going to be about how the drawing sets are put together, uh, um, how all the uh, information is uh, coordinated, and uh, all that type of information. Um, we have a whole section here. It's not a giant section, but a section on specifications and the project manual. Uh, and then you have a whole systems uh, element here as well, similar to one of the other ones. So the systems will show up in both of these big ones in pretty um, significant ways. Uh, 
but again, you can kind of follow through and kind of track your, your thoughts about it. Okay, now we're done with the sort of architectural end of things. Then the last one is the construction and evaluation. Now we're back down to the 95 questions, three hours and 15. Um, this is mostly about construction observation um, and then administrative uh, issues. So that's gonna be the two biggest ones are gonna be those two issues. So it's gonna be about uh, payouts, it's gonna be about change orders, it's about sort of managing the, the paperwork process. Uh, and then in terms of construction observation, it's gonna be about uh, making sure that uh, you're advising the client well and you're giving them good information uh, and that you know what's happening on a job site. So those are the six exams. Um, before we uh, end off here, there's a couple of other quick things to mention. Uh, one of them is that there's also a new feedback system coming. Um, the way that uh, information has previously been uh, given back is that you could get, um, if you've uh, failed an exam, you would get either uh, a couple of different breakdowns of a three, a two, or a one, and the one would have been passing. So this line in the middle is the sort of passing zone. Um, and the trouble they realized that they were having with that, uh, because you'd get that broken down by these different sections, is that you might get, say, uh, two or three ones, and then maybe one uh, two or a couple of twos or something, and you think, well, how come I didn't pass? I mean, overall, that averages to a, closer to a one than to a two. Uh, but if the ones were for the small sections and the two or the three was for one of the big sections, uh, the two or three, the failing one, takes over the, the numerical count. Uh, and so they felt like they were not giving people enough information to really understand uh, what was going on because people were confused a lot. So the new version is going to be four designations. So instead of having just one on the passing, we now have two on the passing. So you start to realize that if I have a lot of twos and a couple threes, well, it could go either way. Either I'm gonna be on the fail side or I'm gonna be on the pass side. Um, but if I have uh, you know, a one somewhere and then a bunch of threes, that means there's something I'm doing right, but I really need to focus on these other things uh, that aren't going well. Um, they're not going to bother really giving you any information if you pass everything because why bother? You've passed. That's all that matters. Um, so uh, look up, be on the lookout for this. You'll, they'll start having a bunch of information about it soon. Um, I think it's a very good thing. Uh, people have always been confused by this. Even with that, it's still pretty light in terms of how much information they're going to give you. Don't expect a lot. Uh, and then the one last thing uh, to talk about here is uh, not only are they... Uh, uh, changing the exam, but they're also changing the whole process of IDP. And the idea here is to uh, cr make it be all in this same basic kind of thinking. So uh, right now the IDP has uh, 17 different experience areas. Uh, that's sort of a little overly detailed. Um, it didn't really, it didn't necessarily make sense. People were kind of shoehorning. Uh, experience into specific uh, uh, situations. And so now they're taking those and they're just dividing up into the exact same breakdown, uh, those six different practice management, project management, uh, programming analysis, sort of beginnings of a project, detailing a project, finishing a project, and then construction uh, CA type of stuff. Uh, so IDP will still be essentially the same, um, but uh, with this different breakdown uh, and different way to kind of uh, put the information together. 
uh, and they're changing a couple of the things about uh, the other experience that you can have uh, be included in your IDP process. Uh, I'm not going to go into it in detail here, um, but some things are getting taken away and some things are being uh, added in. So if, if this is something you're interested in, you should definitely check out their website. And I do like how you did that. You incorporated a, a, a sneak attack quiz in there uh, because every, everyone may be listening and thinking, gee, um, IDP, now it's the architectural experience program. You know, it was it's funny. It's a nice, a nice little thing. A nice little that. quiz, yeah. It's actually, I was going to change all the terminology, and then I went to the website, and the website still has all IDP written. Uh, so I'm not exactly sure what to, what to say about it. Uh, they're, uh, they are clearly getting rid of the term intern. They've decided that is definitely going to be gone. Um, it seems you know fine with me, like I don't care, but uh, I don't think it's particularly meaningful. Um, but uh, they've made a, a significant decision, so they're going for this whole experience. They're focusing on the words experience instead of intern. But right now, you go to the website, it still says IDP. So like, uh, it didn't seem right to have it be uh, different from the website. You have a couple, uh, couple similar and interesting questions here, uh, which are basically asking if I've completed IDP, or if I've maybe done IDP under a previous iteration, because it has changed yeah. quite a bit here. And in addition, not only the name, but of course, you know the requirements and the hours and so forth. You know, do you, do you have to do it again if you want to do if no. you want to take Airy uh, Five? Do you need to do uh, IDP over or do it differently it, or it's, anything? It's possible that you could have to do it, do portions of it again, but you wouldn't have to do the whole thing again. If you have if you if you're record in NCARB, you have an ongoing record and it's, you've uh, finished IDP at some point. Um, it's possible with the way that things got changed, there might be something they want you to get experience in before you finish, but I doubt it. I think if, if you've finished, you've essentially finished. It's important to know that you know, these things, NCARB is there to provide a service to the states, uh, that all of this is actually done through the states. And so the reason that the NCARB has the exam and the IDP and all of that is because the states had all their, each state was doing a totally different thing. It was all kind of crazy. And then a bunch of states got together and they made uh, NCARB essentially. Um, and so when you, when you realize that, you also realize, oh wait, NCARB is telling us the way that they think it should be going. You should always check with your specific state's requirements. Uh, you know. Every time I think I know what's going on in ours, uh, somebody tells me, oh, by the way, we just got an email, it just changed. Um, and there's always usually little changes, but um, you should definitely, before you commit to anything, always go through, make sure you understand what the actual requirements are for you in your state in that situation. But uh, I, if, you've, if you've truly gone through IDP, um, there was a period a, uh, quite a while ago where the, the hours were significantly less and then the hours got more and more and more so if you did IDP anytime within the last few years in the last you know six years or so eight years uh, your hours are probably more than what you need uh, coming up in the next year or so so you probably got extra hours in fact so into <clears throat> to Mike's point here I just shared a link to uh, to NCARB's uh, information about the uh, the IDP uh, which, as Mike said, is absolutely uh, noted as the IDP on NCARB's website. So they haven't quite. They <laughs> haven't quite. They got. They got a lot on their it. hands right now. Right. Yeah. Give so, them a break. So you should definitely check out uh, all the information about your specific situation on NCARB's website. 
Uh, yeah, and so I don't want to over oversell that, but um, you really can't go wrong just kind of contacting your local licensing board, you know, making sure everything's, you understand everything, the idea of the rolling clocks. The rolling clocks are going to stay. Um, the end card version of the rolling socks, the clocks. There are different state versions of rolling clocks, so you have to make sure you understand which one you're actually worried about. Um, you want to understand end carbs issues, and you want to understand your local licensing board's issues uh, to, to make sure you're ready to roll. Most of the states these days are now allowing people to um, start taking the exam actually very early. Um, that uh, in some states straight out of school, in other states you have to wait a year or two. Um, I am actually not a huge fan of that. Uh, most of the stuff that happens uh, on the exam is really about things you learn through experience. Uh, it's not really stuff you learned in school. Uh, so I think having a year or two or three years of experience is actually kind of it'll make you feel a lot more comfortable going into the exam than just kind of this alien set of questions about contracts and this and that that you probably never talked about in school. So even though that's available to you, you know, maybe you're somebody who had a lot of experience before you went to school, oh great, you know, more power to you. But I don't think it's a necessarily terribly useful for everybody. Uh, it's always good to get some experience um, and the best way to get the experience is just to take the exam. Um, costs money, but it's always the best way to get the experience is just try it. Uh, but still, you know, you want to be feel confident and ready when you get, get into it. Yeah, and to that point, actually, NCARB's, um, NCARB by the numbers, their report they put out um, in 2015 showed that the highest pass rates uh, for the exam were for folks who were five years away from when they started IDP, meaning they were five years into IDP. Those are the folks who had the highest pass rate. So, um, yeah, and my guess is that anywhere in the kind of three to six range is sort of a, a reasonable thing. But, you know, it depends on the person. Um, the, the IDP stuff, you can also do it faster than that. It's just if you're not, you know, desperately trying to take the exam and get it done, you know, there's no, there's no huge hurry. You just want to keep plugging through it. All right, so, uh, so I think, uh, Mike, maybe uh, one more slide there will yep. take us to the end. There we go. Um, we have one interesting question here from John from early on. Um, otherwise, if anyone else has any other questions, feel free to, to uh, share them here in the question box. Uh, John's question is, do you think a firm will regard passing uh, under ARE 4 more valuable than passing under 5? Damn, John, that's a great question. Um, uh, well, I think this is the moment where I get to say, you know, when I took the exam, uh, I did it the last year that it was a paper exam, and I actually had to draw a whole big building and do a whole thing. It was a very different experience. And for years, people talked about like, oh, you, you kids, you get to do it on the computer and all of that. So yeah, I'm sure there'll be a little bit of that um, because there'll be more structures in 4.0, there'll be more systems. Um, but uh, when it comes down to it, it's really still the same basic content. It's just rearranged. Uh, so yeah, uh, people will be annoying because people are annoying. But uh, um, I don't think there's any real meaning behind it. It's an interesting question, though. Like, uh, I, I could totally imagine uh, from, uh, you know, the, the people who passed a couple years ago trying to lord it over the, uh, the new folks. All right. Well, um, thank you, Mike. Um, and thanks to, uh, to all of you who've tuned in and who submitted their questions today. Yeah, good questions. Today. Yeah. Um, if you'd like to attend our next ARE live broadcast, uh, where you'll get to uh, ask Mike 
all of your questions, uh, including those about ARE 4 or 5. Um, you can visit blackspectacles.com podcast to register to attend. And just like today's episode, you'll have a chance to ask questions and share your answers with Mike for live feedback during the broadcast. Uh, to learn more about our AIA ARE prep curriculum, which as I mentioned will be updated to uh, include ARE 5 uh, content uh, in August, uh, go to blackspectacles.com uh, where you can try out any of the free course videos. And for those of you who are ready to start preparing for the ARE, and if you're already an AIA member, you can use coupon code 316-425-PC15 to get a 15% discount for the entire duration of your AIA ARE prep membership. And then finally, please hop over to iTunes right now and rate our podcast to let us know what you think and share any suggestions you may have. I promise we'll read every word that you write and use them to tune our next episodes. So thanks for listening.